Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Roman Cowan is the COO for College Hunks Hauling Junk and Moving. From humble beginnings in Jamaica to success working in accounting at a national outsourced call center in Tampa, Roman leveraged a positive mindset with goal setting and execution to achieve his personal goals. Roman has led the financial teams of College Hunks and its affiliates over the years and has officially been playing the COO role since 2016, since seeing the company grow by record revenues and profits in that time. Roman is also one of the founding members of the COO Alliance, and over the last couple of years, he and I have actually become good friends. Roman, great to have you on the show. <clears throat> hey, Cameron, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. <clears throat> Jeez, I just, uh, you said earlier when we were just getting ready that you had a little bit of a cough. I just somehow came off with one myself, so I hope this doesn't continue. Tell me, um, tell me <laughs> how it was that you kind of came into uh, to get involved with College Hunks. How did they find you? How did you find them? And um, yeah, just give us kind of the background. Somewhat interesting story, actually, Cameron. I, I met them in my senior year in college. I was going to the University of Tampa, and I, 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 the entire graduating class in the business school did a case study on college hunks, all and junk, and we formed about 60 groups. And those, those 60 got uh, filtered down to about five groups that got to present to Nick and Omar. Unfortunately, um, and Nick and Omar are the founders. Unfortunately, my group was in uh, the, the, the top five, and I think I made a somewhat of a good impression back, back then. I tried to join the, the company at the time, and uh, though I was passionate about the brand, they weren't as passionate about me at the time. I was young. I didn't have any experience, and Nick and Omar advised, go out and get some experience in the real world and um, follow up, and that's exactly what I did. And I don't think they expected me to follow up with the level of perseverance that I did have, but I reached out a few times via LinkedIn. And the opportunity came in 2013 where I was able to join the team. So that's pretty much how we got connected was through me staying connected with Nick and Omar via LinkedIn several years after being turned down for a job. <clears throat> I love that. And I'm, I'm sure the per perseverance is what actually attracted them to you right away as well. So tell us, um, tell us a little bit about kind of your, your rough background and what gave you the skills to come into the COO role then. So as you mentioned in the onset, I, um, Grew up in pretty humble uh, background, and for whatever reason, in my time in Jamaica, ever since I was a youth, uh, teenage years, I always somehow had people following me who were my age, younger, and oftentimes much older than myself. And I think there was some innate uh, leadership abilities that I didn't recognize at the time. It was just natural to me. And over time, when I went to college, it continued to happen. And so when I came into the company as the financial controller back in 2013, um, I soon started leading the team um, unofficially in the sense that Nick and Omar were the acting president and CEOs, but they were often moving around. And we started following the traction model, which is uh, a form of uh, managing your, 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 your business um, using a language that allows you to communicate throughout your organization. And so traction, EOS is something that we utilize here at College Hunks. And I found myself acting very, when I read the book, I found myself acting very much like the integrator role. And Nick and Omar, the president and CEO, acting more like the visionaries. And so it was just an organic fit based on my historic 
natural leadership abilities. And then my experiences going through uh, college where I had a marketing degree, an accounting degree. I went again and I got my CPA, master's in accounting, as well as an MBA. So I, I had the, the, the textbook knowledge. I went out and got some historical, um, some, some industry relevant experience when I worked at a large call center with College Hunks having a large call center. And, um, and as a master T-Mobile, uh, master dealer, I was pretty much the accountant that did everything for that, um, operation. So I got some pretty good real world experience along with my natural leadership abilities that positioned me well to be considered for the COO role a few years ago, which I, I accepted. No, no, I've teased you along the way just because, um, you know, obviously I came out of the, the 1-800 got junk background and I've always teased you at, at you guys are a real solid number two. Um, but in a lot of ways, I think you guys are, you guys are actually a number one. You guys have done a fantastic job with your company culture. You've done a fantastic job with your marketing and your branding. Um, and even your franchisee, um, you know, satisfaction, your franchisees are super happy. So talk to us about what you believe are some of the core competencies for college hunks then. Wow. So from a core competency perspective, and I'd probably say what differentiates us actually from the competition is that we are truly values-based and our BHAG or our long-term vision, if you will, in summary says we want to become an iconic brand. And for most people, when they, they hear that, it sounds kind of um, vague. So we say, if you think of the Disney's, the Zappos, the Starbucks's, the companies that you're going to spend significant amounts of money with where otherwise you didn't have to, for example, paying 4 or $5 for a cup of coffee where you'd pay a dollar for that same coffee in a white cup. Um, that's the type of brand we're trying to become. And we want to be, be recognized for our culture, which we're starting to be recognized for, our client service experience, and as you mentioned, our franchise partner fulfillment. And to do so, we think if we're purpose-driven, values-based, and socially conscious, we can get it done. So um, we are actively trying to become more socially conscious in our franchise partners territory all across the U.S. and in Canada now, but also here at the corporate uh, level where we've partnered with Feed and Children Everywhere, uh, organization that allows um, us to donate two meals for every junk job we do or every move job we complete. And that's, that's, that's something that takes us a little bit further from uh, a, a moving company or junk removal company into a purpose-driven socially conscious company. Uh, we, we celebrate our core values every day. We hire, we, we retain, we promote, and we quite frankly fire based on our core values and we take it extremely seriously. So I think those are some of the things that, that separate us, separate and apart from the, the sizzle, which is our name, obviously is a fun, catchy name, college hunk, calling junk and moving now, of course. And then our fun colors, orange and green, but beneath the layer, we're much more and when we, when I come to work every day and I look at the type of people we've let in, I like to call them a, our pride, a lion pride. And um, what we're trying to do is interview and sift through people that don't quite fit in the pride. And that doesn't make them any worse or any better. They could be tigers somewhere, but it, we're trying to get a, a pride of lions. And they all have to be, um, have one common commonality, and which is culture first, socially conscious, purpose driven, and they fit our core values. So that, that I think is what differentiates us from a lot of different com companies out there. Yeah. And I've, I've actually seen you, you as a company living the whole purpose driven values based and um, socially conscious as well. One of the things I was really impressed on, on the values based side 
Um, you guys invited me to speak at your company conference. I think you had about 400 people at your conference last year and I came out to do a keynote at it. And about four or five days before I was set to arrive, um, you called me to let me know that someone fairly senior on your team had been let go and it was because of a values breach. And I think a lot of companies don't make those decisions and you guys made a pretty tough decision at a pretty tough time. Can you, you know, can you walk us through, not maybe the specifics of it, but just walk us through how you guys as a leadership team rationalized doing something that was so senior and, and how that's um, played out over the last year? Oh yeah, absolutely. And so, so first off, in the earlier years, we weren't doing enough to prevent people that weren't of core values fit to come on board. We would hire based on skill and not so much based on values. And so we'd end up paying the, the price for that. And any good leader, any leader in any good organization will tell you that that's a recipe for disaster in the long run. Yeah, when you're, when you're a startup, you prior, you're going to need those experts to get you through. But there, there are enough candidates out there that you can, if indeed you call yourself a pride of lions, you can skip the cheetahs and the hyenas and whoever else. They're, they're not any worse, but you can go ahead and skip those. And even though they can get the job done, they just won't fit. And so that's the first thing that we've done recently is um, implemented a screening uh, step during the interview process where we have our team members and myself, actually, I do this for every team member we hire. I screen them for core value fit. And even though we get it wrong, up front, we tell them, here's what we're looking for, and let's not join this team if you can't fit in. So that's what we're doing. In, in regards to the situation that happened earlier at our conference, um, yes, this was a key employee, uh, someone that I, I consider a friend, but there was a significant violation of uh, our core values, and um, it wasn't a question of if we were going to make the decision. It was just a matter of when and how we communicated, and we pride ourselves with great communication. So we reached out to our franchise partners who, quite frankly, that individual had great relationships with. And we explained, not in detail, but we explained that something happened and we had to part ways. And um, I think we handled it very well and we've been commended since for how it how it happened. And we let that employee step, step away with dignity and uh, we hope that they're doing well and we're going to continue to chug on as well. <clears throat> That's awesome. And it's interesting that you mentioned... Um kind of it's in the hiring process is when you'll avoid having to fire those people. Um, ben Horowitz in his book, Hard Thing About Hard Things, talked about how so many companies really skip over that and they start to externalize and blame, um, you know, why they fired somebody and they really blame the person. Instead, what he tries to do is get them to do an introspective and really look at their own contribution as to how they let that person get into the company, um, how, you know, how they onboarded him maybe pro improperly, how they maybe didn't train him properly. Um, how maybe they promoted them too far. And I think you guys have done a good job with recognizing that at a pretty early stage. Um, Thank you. you know, about your marketing, you guys came out with colors um, that are, are pretty, uh, pretty out there. I mean, orange and green aren't exactly two colors that anybody would grab as, you know, hey, these should be our company colors, but they've really stood you proud. Um, you know, you can see your, your trucks for miles as they're driving down the road and your signage everywhere. Can you walk us through some of the beliefs that, that College Hunks has in marketing? Um, maybe the guerrilla marketing side or the branding, positioning, anything that you guys think have helped you build your brand? Absolutely. I think what I would say that 
our beliefs are you overwhelm the marketplace and own your market. And we, we teach our franchise partners proprietary information about how to do so. But any person that's in a market where there is a French, uh, College Hunks franchise partner, they should feel as if they're 5x the number of trucks that we actually have in that market. And that's when we say you're winning. When people are saying, man, you've got so many trucks around here when there are only two or three trucks. Um, so we believe in overwhelming the market. Uh, we believe in excellent customer service, which is the first line of great marketing. We think that if you want to retain and have repeat clients and referral clients, excellent service is where it starts. And that's why we want to become that iconic brand where when a fran college hung franchise partner does a job in someone's home, that person speaks about that job for weeks and weeks to come. And hopefully we're, we're, we're going into the right people's homes, the target audience, and then they're talking to people who are similarly made up so that we're getting more repeat jobs that are um, relevant to our industry um, in terms of our average ticket. We call it average job size. Um, we believe in standing out. So you mentioned the colors. Um, I'm sure you've read the book about the purple cow. And it basically talks about if you see a field of cows, you know, the black and the white typical or brown cows, you see one big old purple cow, people are going to drive past and stick out and look and say, wow, look at that. Um, people might even be interested in going up and saying, I want to see that the milk from that cow and not the milk from the other cow. It could be the exact same, but that allows you to stand out from the bunch. And that's where the, the colors, the green and orange, if we were to stick a college hunks, Holland junk, or a college hunks moving truck within a field of other trucks, and, you know, I love um, competitors as well, you know, got jumps of the world. But if you stick our trucks beside them, the average person is going to take a look at the big old orange and green one. So, we, we're big on standing out for the right reasons, obviously for the physical appearance, aesthetically, but we're also big on standing out for our service, which I mentioned, our service philosophy, and that's a huge piece of our success and gaining so much market share in the moving side and, the mo and on junk removal. And then we're big on overwhelming the market in the sense that we want to appear larger than we are. And I think it's just now that the, the, the image of college hunks that has been portrayed out for years has always been much bigger. The brand has always been much bigger than who we are as a company. But now most recently, as we've been doubling every two years, we've kind of caught up to the brand, which is which is awesome that I've been able to be a part of the team to do that. You talked a couple of times about overwhelming the market. How do you do that? So, you know, obviously we don't want to give away all of our, the recipe, you know, if, if you've got a if you got a secret sauce, but some of the, the key things that we do, um, not too unfamiliar to 1-800-GOT-JUNKED, but finding great parking, um, obviously finding really good uh, office locations. Uh, we, we saw, for example, one of our corporate stores moved offices from one location to another location that was um, more prime, and we saw our revenues double uh, month over month from just moving from one location to another location. That's just, and then we, have, we, we, we paint our offices very bright. They stand out. It won't be discreet when there's a college hunk near you. Um, we do activities based on zip codes. Uh, as I said, I can't give all the proprietary information, but we do go out and do the typical door hangers, the yard signs. Anyone that's familiar with college hunks is going to say, yes, I've seen the yard signs. I've seen the trucks. Um, obviously, the, the activities online now, we're doing a ton with uh, programmatic or display advertising, YouTube. Facebook, Instagram, so social, standard PPC, where we, we, we think we're going to win by getting in front of people. 
And the more we get in front of people, we think that if you get in front of them seven different ways, it's going to leave a lasting impression so that when they have a need, they won't think about who they're going to call. They'd already made up their mind. And so that's uh, a key ingredient. But as I said, I can't get into all the specifics what we coach because you otherwise we'd encourage you to buy a franchise and you could come in and learn all that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You don't want to give away your secret sauce. I think you guys are still expanding. Um, so talk about, you talked about the vision and integrator and, and uh, Gino Wickman who wrote EOS traction and we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but you mentioned that uh, the, the visionary role that are played by uh, Nick and Omar, how, how do you sign off on their vision? How do you kind of get on the same page with where they want you to grow the company? And then how do you get them to sign off on your plans and what you plan on doing to execute their vision? So, so, first, so first off, they have a long-term vision, which I, I, I try to make sure it fits within the realm of what's possible. And if you, you know the, 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 the acronym SMART, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely, I try to make sure that the vision is something that we can articulate to, to folks when we sit down in an interview setting or to our team members, because quite frankly, we want a vision that's not just shared with all of our team members, but shared by all of our team members. So we actually create a vision cheat sheet. We put it all around. And we talk about it periodically and we talk about different uh, milestones that we've hit. If we've hit a certain revenue target or if our franchise partners are doing something uh, or, for example, when Zappos started to follow us on social media, that was a huge milestone for us has been recognized as a world-class culture. Um, those are some examples. And so in terms of them being held accountable to the vision that they set and me interpreting, understanding it and taking that and executing it, we, we meet periodically, actually once a month, and it's an all-day affair with both visionaries, Nick and Omar and myself. And we go through a list of uh, items that, I might bring to the table or they might bring to the table, whether it's something that I'm executing on or my team is executing on and or something my team has brought up and I want their advice as the visionaries so that I'm not going out of the realm of their vision. We sit down and we go through every, all those items on the list and it's actually a part of the EOS process and it's called our same page meeting. And we do a monthly same page meeting uh, on the same day every month and we go through every topic that they have and m most of the time, it's just to get the ideas out of the visionary's head because they're entrepreneurs and they're thinking about a hundred things a minute. And it's oftentimes easier for them to be able to dump it on my, someone like myself who can take it and push it off as opposed to bringing it to the team and distracting us from what we want to focus on all year. Cause we do have objectives that we've set out at the start of the year and had those thoughts just kept getting interjected every, every other day it would distract our team from getting things done or getting the big ticket items done. But I take most of those and I see if there's anything inside of the, that feedback from the visionaries and see if there's anything I can take back to the team now and try to implement along with what we're doing. So it's, it's, it's a very good process. It allows us to stay, up, stay connected. It does get tense at times because we don't always agree, but once we leave that room, we're, we're committed. Um, we have a health, we have a strong, uh, trust between us, a strong bond between us. And so even when things get heated, once we get out of there, there's a tremendous amount of accountability that they they know I'll have for the action steps that were coming out on, on either side. But there's a tremendous amount of uh, confidence knowing that we've committed to whatever decisions we've made. So Nick often brings uh, a lot to the, to the meetings and 
80% of it, I push, push back or I put in what we call a parking lot to be addressed later. And he understands that that's not to, 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 to demean or to say anything that he brings to the table is not important. It's just to understand that we have a lot of things to focus, we have a lot of things to focus on and we can't overwhelm our team with different requests that don't align with our vision. So it's, it's really just a tug of war. Um, and trying to make sure that we stay aligned to our long-term and our short-term vision. How do you work with your franchise franchisees? Do you do you guys actively coach your franchisees, or do you just teach them the systems and let them run? Can you give us maybe some insight there? So, without, with our franchise partners, we, yeah, no problem. Um, we actually have a ratio that we try to maintain of franchise business coaches, we call them, to franchise partners, and it's about twenty-five to thirty. Um, franchise partners has a dedicated uh, franchise business coach. We also have financial coaches where we have an in-house financial services uh, organization that we've built out that does the accounting and bookkeeping for our franchise partners. They set their, their books up from an org chart perspective all the way out and then do monthly uh, calls with them to talk about where they are compared to benchmark, compared to targets and help them with forecasts in the following year and have different conversations about, should I get this new truck? Should I move to that office? Should I hire this GM? Those type of conversations. We have an in-house uh, marketing coach, separate and apart from our uh, franchise business coaches, uh, that goes to our franchise partners and helps them with specific marketing-related activities. So if there's a franchise partner not ramping up at the level that we expect, we might send the marketing coach we also have a, what we call a ramp-up coach, which was one of our franchise business coaches, but this, this role specif uh, specifically stays with the franchise partner for their first six months or so, or for locations that are struggling to uh, ramp up like others are doing. So we might send out the ramp-up coach to a location that's not growing as fast as we expect in a certain market. Um, on top of that, we have a, a, a move-specific coach uh, because moving is a, a little bit more technical of a field than junk removal is. Junk removal, you go and you take the item, and oftentimes persons don't care if their item is damaged unless it's being donated, but it's a lot less care um, needed and a lot less technical expertise needed on the junk removal side. And on the moving side, you need technical training, so we have a move-specific coach. So I would say we support our franchise partners um, a lot more than most, franchisors that you know we encounter but uh it's bearing dividends where we see our unit level economics increase year over year substantially um we had over 30 locations to a million dollars this year for example which is which is amazing because it was only a few years ago that we had one or two people in the million dollar club now more than 30 percent of our system almost 30 percent of our system is 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 there and next year we'll have close to 50 percent of our system doing a million dollars which is an amazing accomplishment and so yeah, we a have huge, a tremendous amount of coaching. Huge hurdle. Yeah, the coaching is clearly paying dividends. Talk to me about the value side of the business. You talk about being values driven. Um, maybe give some examples or uh, kind of on the value side, but also talk to us a little bit about culture um, and how you build culture inside the head office and also with your franchisees. Uh, so, so our core values, uh, we have four core values, and unlike a lot of companies where you have some really nice sounding core values, we actually talk about our core values. We live them on a daily basis, and I'll tell you the core values. One of them is our fun is to create a fun, enthusiastic team environment. Uh, when Nick and Omar started the company, they were both in office jobs, and they were 
not fulfilled. And even though they do think that there are people who don't necessarily need to be entrepreneurs like, like myself, for example, and others that work for them, they wanted to make sure they built a company that was fun, that when you went to work, you said, wow, I want to be there. So the fun, enthusiastic team environment, um, <clears throat> core value is huge for us because we want to create a environment where people want to go there. But it's not just about ping pong tables and pool and and laughing and in the office. Fun, enthusiastic team environment for us is about creating a, a safe environment where someone who's introverted feels uh, accepted. Uh, we do PI index, uh, predictive index profiling, where we say someone's a little bit more um, outgoing, we're going to treat them differently. Or someone is wants more uh, structure, they're going to have a traditional eight to five job and they might not have as much flexibility, not as much work from home. But we basically try to tailor our approach, our leadership approach to our individual team members, which I think has paid off. And that's a part of creating a fun, enthusiastic team environment. Always Brandon is our second, uh, is, is the second one I'll mention. And Always Brandon, a lot of people tend to think it means wearing the shirt or looking nice, but Always Brandon is, is pretending you're on a stage and there's a fly on the wall when you're having conversations and, and someone's watching. Someone could hear this conversation. That, so Always Brandon could mean not gossiping. It could mean being an optimist, not a pessimist. It could mean so many things. But um, in short, always, Brandon, is about how you represent yourself and trying to become a better version of yourself each day. Um, building leaders is uh, the one that resonates with most people. A lot of people come into this organization to help build young people into better versions of themselves. But we also say we want to spend a significant amount of time on th that person themselves, that franchise partner, becoming a better person of them, better version of themselves. Personally and professionally, if someone enters our organization as a hunk or as a franchise partner or what we call a brand central team member, they should leave if they, if and when they leave a better version and be able to exit and do great things. Uh, and ultimately may come back. And finally, we have listen, fulfill and delight, which is that wow factor, which is, um, taking it a step going above and beyond for your team members, for your franchise partners, and obviously for the end customer. So those are our core values. How do we try to build the culture every day on a daily basis? We have monthly all-staff meetings at the local level. We have daily huddles. By the way, we have these at the corporate offices as well. We have daily huddles where we talk about our core values every day. We share what's going on in the different business areas. We call them teams. Um, we read books together, uh, like the five dysfunctions of a team, where we talk about starting with trust, having healthy conflict, then having commitment, accountability, and results. Um, obviously, we've read. We have our team members read traction so that they're all on the same page to how we operate. Uh, we recognize people for uh, living our core values. Every day, we shout out someone who's lived their core values, or we explain what a core value means. So there's so much that we do from a, a, a core values perspective to help build our culture. That I couldn't list. Each, I couldn't tell you each thing right now in the next 30 minutes because it's daily, weekly, monthly. Um, but the, the, the biggest thing that I could say that we do that helps our culture be what it is, is we listen. And that's that last core value I mentioned, listen, fulfill and delight, but we genuinely do listen. Our team members get to chime in on the vision that Nick and Omar set. Actually, we're actually going to have an idea jam later this week where all of our team members are going to sit in a room and sprout out ideas where we want to be in the next 10 years and where we want to be in the next three years, where we're going to write our vision. 
And those ideas get to Nick and Omar where they're going to sit down and write their three-year vivid vision. And so unlike a lot of companies where maybe the visionaries just sit in their room and come up with a vision on their own, we, we sit and we listen to our team members. When coming up with our annual rocks, or quarterly rocks, uh, these are objectives for those who don't know EOS. Um, we listen to our team members, we listen to our franchise partners, and we try to hire people that will do the same and will care about people. So hopefully that kind of helps you understand our culture a little bit better. Uh, you guys have definitely, you've done an amazing job with culture, with values. But you've also really codified everything. It's not like it's, um, it's something that's loose either. You've really actually done a really good job with codifying it and um, branding it. And really, it sounds like really bringing it deep into the organization. But you, you almost make it sound too easy. Are you, um, are you struggling with anything anywhere? Is anything tough? Um, I, what, what I would say is tough is with the job market improving, I think franchise sales has taken somewhat of a hit. It is something that's happening industry-wide where folks are not necessarily leaving jobs uh, to, to come and start new franchises as much as we'd seen when the job market wasn't doing as well. Um, but I wouldn't say it's a struggle because we are, our existing franchise partners are doing as well as they've ever done, um, more profitable than they've ever been. Um, but that's, some, that's an area that we want to improve on. And I think we've had some misses on some key hires that we've had in the past, and we, we're, we're putting some systems in place because I don't think people fail. I do believe that systems are the ones that fail. So I think we, we missed an opportunity when it came, when it came to hiring senior leadership um, to, 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 to have a system that helped us vet people properly and not necessarily just listen to consultants and those outside of our organization because some, some of the misses were from a cultural perspective. And we've got to take that just as seriously because you've got to set the tone at the, at the top. So I think we struggled a little bit with that. And we are actively working through that process right now. And I think we're on a good path to making sure that we solve that error and don't, and we won't make it become a mistake, which is a continued error for us. So how do you, how do you, um, filter for that? How do you actually find out if the people are the right culture fit in the interview process? So, you know, this might, I'm not sure how you might take this, but I almost beg people after explaining what a line looks like, I mentioned the concept of the line earlier, but what, what does it look like to join our pride, our tribe, um, college hunks, who, what type of person you do you have to be? And I almost beg that person and I say, please don't join our team because oftentimes we're relocating folks from other states and I would hate for you to be relocated and then it turns out you're not a fit. You just painted your, your stripes and to look like a lion and it turns out you're really a cheetah, which we like cheetahs or you're a leopard and now we have to fire you because we want, you're going to mess up the hunt. We all crouch at the same time. This is how we operate when we're getting this gazelle and you, you're messing it up. And I know that's a somewhat, uh, simplified way to look at it, but you basically can't hide your spots for too long. And so I upfront tell people, here's what we're looking for. We will train for it. And if you slip up in, in a certain area, let's say you come on board and at your old, old company, you used to gossip all the time. And that's just a part of the culture. You come here, we're going to say, knock it off. And if you, you knock it off, we're, we're going to, we're good to go. But if you can't knock it off, if you start treating, uh, people differently based on their age or sexuality, their gender, their religion. That's another violation of our core values. Uh, we're going to ask you to find another role somewhere else, 
not inside of College Hunk. So I, I honestly, in the interview process, we spent a lot of time just trying to give people a fear understanding of the expectation and begging them not to join our team if they know they're not aligned ultimately. So we ask them to be introspective after explaining what it looks like to join our, our tribe. And now we've recently added, I actually picked this up at the last CEO Alliance event that I was at, we've added um, group interviews for senior leadership um, hires, which is something that we hadn't done out of somewhat respect for the roles or whatnot. But um, I think out of respect for what we're trying to build here, we're going to be doing that. And we will, one of the things that we, we're going to start doing is we're going to actually ask, if we have five people interviewing for a role, we'll ask each five individually, who, who would they hire if I, if we needed to hire two and that should help us. And we've tried that recently and it was pretty powerful seeing that. I think I actually picked that one up from you, Cameron. Yeah, you did. You, you guys are really doing a great job with all this stuff. How about yourself personally? Where are you growing? Where are you working on um, in terms of your leadership skills? Uh, so I, I, I think every day I try to learn. I'm, I'm a very introspective person. So uh, I think one of the things that I'm working on is trying to maintain my humble uh, stance on things. Uh, my nature is to be humble when it comes to uh, most things, but as any success will do with anyone, it can change you. So I'm working on staying grounded. What goes up, I do believe will come down and I, I wanna make sure that I'm still the person that is approachable, uh, friendly, and no matter what level of success I might see, I wanna maintain the core of who I am. So I think that's, it may not be the traditional answer you'd hear, but I'm big on family. I'm big on friendships, genuine friendships, uh, having meaningful conversations with people, not really surface level. So I'm trying my hardest to maintain that as I have a, I have seen my career uh, kind of progress year over year uh, in a positive way. I don't want to. I don't want to compromise my my personal uh, wishes because one thing I do believe is not to be on your deathbed thinking, I wish I did. I, I like to think every day, if I were on my deathbed, would I do this or not? So, and that's helped me a tremendous amount. In terms of leading yeah, my team. You're totally, you're totally a values-based guy. I mean, even like every, every interaction I've had with you, those are, are hugely apparent. I'm sorry, but you, you said, what were you saying about your team? Yeah, I was, so that was just me personally. Uh, and I'm big on the personal side. In terms of leading my team, I have an active group of mentors. Um, you may not know this, but I count you as one of them. Um, Thank you. And I, re I reach out to my mentors uh, as much as I can because I do accept that I, uh, I'm young, but also I don't know everything. And that's okay because so many people have written about so much that I can read. It's just something that I didn't do as a, when I was younger. I watched a lot of TV. And I think reading has really helped me. I've mentioned a few books. Um, that I think any business owner should be reading, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, for example. Um, but anyway, reading, I think, is what I work on, getting mentors and joining groups like the CO Alliance, uh, where I have a bunch of like-minded folks that are going through the exact same things that I am going through. And no matter how big or small they are relative to our, my company, um, it's interesting that we share common uh, successes, but more importantly, common challenges that we can talk through. And I've, and I've really enjoyed your group because of that. And not because I'm on this, uh, podcast while I'm saying that. I generally have enjoyed that. And at our company, we have a professional development budget for every team member where 
we encourage our team members to utilize that to become better versions of themselves and come and help our company. As we double every year, we don't want the company to grow past our team members. So we try to help them each year to come along for the ride. Thanks, Paul. Well, no, you're, you're on it. You, you talked about something recently, and it was about radical transparency. Um, can you talk about how radical transparency, um, you know, what that means to you, and, and maybe, I guess how you practice that daily and, and ongoing through your business? Yeah, so sometimes I, I, we get criticized for being a little bit too transparent. Um, and I'll give an example. Uh, prior to us being extremely transparent, our franchise partners would probably complain about our, uh, you know, every, everyone complains, but we'd hear some complaints about, you know, something here at Brand Central or the website or the call center did something or there was an outage. And now we said we're going to communicate whenever there's anything going on and you, you could just see the level of the heightened level of awareness um, once you start to be transparent. But I think what, what it's done for us is it's allowed us to set the tone for our organization, for our leadership team, to let our franchise partners and our team members know that we're going to be very transparent with them. And whether it's good or bad, we want our team members and our franchise partners to know that it's a, we're going to be honest and transparent. And we will tell them, though, what we're doing about it. So, for example, if we have an outage in our call center, we're going to tell them, this is what happened, here's why it happened, and here's what we're doing to make sure it never happens again. And though we cannot prevent issues, um, it's critical that we, 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 we take ownership when something bad happens and we explain what we're doing um, to fix it. But it's not only the bad stuff. We're very transparent with um, a lot of the good stuff internally. We don't necessarily brag about how many uh, meals we always um, give away or what we've done from a charitable perspective because I think it takes away from what we're doing. But internally, we share those stories. Uh, we share numbers. We share so much. We have a benchmarking report that I'm so happy that I was a part of building uh, where we have our franchise partners that are participating with our bookkeeping service where we stack rank them from a profitability perspective and we share who's doing well from a labor perspective, from a marketing as a percentage of uh, revenue perspective, from a NOI, net profit perspective. And we share that with all of our franchisees across the system and allow them to say, hey, I have the same revenue as you. I did 150000 this month. You did 150000 Why is it your home team, which is what we call our labor costs, why is it your labor cost is 18% and mine is 25? You can have those type of conversations, but we're an extremely transparent organization. We communicate very well. We have a FAC, Franchise Advisor Council, where we meet with them twice in person and we go over what every single team at our corporate office is doing. They get to ask, poke holes, have questions. We even have FAC subcommittees where members of the FAC actually break off into what we call subcommittees. So members of our FAC actually have a sub-marketing committee. So folks who are very interested and have a aptitude for marketing might sit in the FAC marketing subcommittee and talk through what we're working on and they can actually help influence what we're working on. Likewise in IT, in accounting, in our operations team and so on and so forth. So that uh, I, I can't necessarily go into specifics but I can say no, we're extremely great. transparent with what we share. Yeah, that's great. You're juggling something that a lot of COOs don't have to juggle, and that's that you have two CEOs. You've got, I guess, two co-founders that operate as CEO. How do you juggle two guys? And, and they're both fairly different in terms of their personalities. I've spent some time 
um, one-on-one with Nick, uh, and then also some time one-on-one with Omar. How do you, how do you juggle both of those guys and, um, you know, how do they operate with you? So I, I honestly, I think of myself as extremely lucky, fortunate or blessed, whatever, um, whatever word, uh, is there to, 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 to describe the situation that I'm in. Because Nick and Omar, fortunately, are kind of a yin and yang. Uh, Omar is very laid back. He is the true CEO, if there ever has been one. He fits the profile. Um, he, 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 he is not as structured as Nick is, whereas Nick is the one who's pioneered so much of what's made us successful. So I would say Omar is more of the true visionary. He's the one who thought of the idea in college. He's the... The one, his mom gave us the first beat-up cargo van to do the junk removal. And uh, so Omar is the true, what I would say, the true visionary in the spectrum of visionaries, whereas Nick is somewhere a hybrid between the visionary and integrator. And I think I was able to look at Nick in my few years when I came on in 2013 and, and take from him the integrator sides of his, his uh, behaviors and his, his patterns while I was reporting to him. And I've learned tremendous, I've learned so much from Nick. So even though Nick and Omar are in the same roles, I spend more time communicating with Nick in the sense that he's a little bit more connected to the day to day. Um, and then Omar is truly the visionary. So it's almost like a true visionary, a true integrator in myself, and then Nick in the middle. That it's, so it's, it's a very, very good dynamic when we have our meetings. Um, I am the tiebreaker, but I think having someone like Nick that has the, the frame of mind that I have, he understands things a little bit better on my side, but he also understands things a little bit better on Omar's side. So it's, it's, I don't want to say it's easy because all of our arguments end with respect. And uh, I think I'm in a really good setup and I, and I'm very grateful for the two guys that I get to work with as our visionaries. Yeah, you guys have done a really good job with actually having the really good strong debate and the really good conflict and then walking out of the room with consensus and walking out of the room with respect. I think that's a really powerful, um, you know, part of you uh, of your success at College Hunks for sure. It's something that I don't think Pat Lencioni and the five dysfunctions of a team talked about was how do you wrap up that healthy conflict? How do you wrap up those meetings and, and kind of walk out with respect? So is there anything that you guys do? to finish off that good, healthy debate and healthy conflict so that you walk out with respect or is it just an under core kind of an underpinning of your core values? Uh, I think it's, I think it's how we start the meetings. We set the tone for everything we talk about here will not be personal. Everything we talk about here will be about what it is and not who it is. So I do think what Patrick laid out well was the foundation being trust. And when you have a healthy amount of trust, no matter what you talk about, you know that that person is thinking about um, a positive. Or you, you, you go to a, 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 what we call a generous thought. And actually, I should mention something else that Nick actually brought to the table. It was on a Oprah Winfrey uh, series that she does. I can't recall what it's what, what it is, and I might share it with you after the fact, but there was a lady who spoke about uh, marble and trust, and she talked about acting with generosity towards people, and that's kind of been molded into our fiber and a part of our culture. Acting with generosity is not, oh, I see somebody walking with a bunch of groceries and I want to offer help. That's kindness, and we hope that our team members are kind. But acting with generosity is 
in the face of an argument or in the face of someone doing something despicable or mean or whatever you take it as, you think to yourself, either A, that person might be going through something or your mind just goes to a generous place. And I, if I find the video, we actually sat down and watched this in 2014 and it stuck with me and we have our team members watch it when they come on board. And that helps us so much. So if Nick and I and Nick, Omar and I are yelling at each other about something that we um, are in just in disagreement on, on, and let's say they won the argument in the sake, because there's no winner or loser, but let's say their side of the argument is what we went with. I come out of it not thinking, oh man, that they're so foolish. I come out of it thinking, they're thinking that because they're thinking the best interest of the franchise partners. And even though I think it's different, I have, to, I have to understand that. And I train my mind to act to generosity. So if someone even were to say something rude, even in my personal life, I see it happening. If someone were to maybe say something that would be negative about me or gossip, I think immediately, oh, you know what? They're probably going through something with their spouse. Oh, you know, they're going through a divorce. They're trying to sue themselves by doing that and not actually be negative or whatnot. So Nick Omar and I have really grasped that concept and we try to inspire that into our teams and then ultimately into their teams where we act with generosity with each other. So there isn't anything that they could, li they could literally say just about anything to me and I will think, I'll flip it positively. It's a, it's a part of being optimistic, if you will, but watching that video, it explains it so well, um, acting with generosity towards your team members and anyone that you interact with. That's super powerful. And I, I love I love that you've actually trained your mind on it. Have you ever read the book, uh, The Five People You'll Meet in Heaven? I have not. I have not. That's, it's, a, it's a great little read, but that's kind of what it talks about. One of the examples I always remember is, you know, when we're driving in traffic and that person is speeding and they cut us off, our, our, our normal response is to get upset with them. But the book kind of says, you know, tells the story of the guy who's, you know, racing to get to the hospital to, um, you know, see his daughter deliver their first child kind of thing. And, and all, of a Absolutely. Sudden, all of a sudden you're like, wow, go faster, man, go faster. Um, and it just really, it really does change everything. But I think it is, like you said, it's a, it's a mind shift that you have to work on. So Roman, you've been with College Hunks for just under five years now, it'll be five years, I guess, next month or five, maybe it's this month. Correct. Um, can you tell us what's one big lesson that we want to wrap with? What's one big lesson you want to give to anyone who may be in this, the COO role or any emerging leaders in their companies? What's one big lesson that you'd like to give them today? Um, it's, it's all about the people. Everything that you will do, and no matter what level of success you, you're trying to achieve, it will depend on the people you have supporting you. Uh, the people that you hire Figure out who you want on the bus, on your bus, the type of people, not just technically I want an IT leader, I want a marketing person, I want to, no. Who are the types of people you want and try your best to get the hiring right. And if you don't, fire quickly and move on. And if, even if there's chatter around, just put your head down and make the right decision. That's, that, that's the last and, um, piece that I like to share with folks. And, Something that, Cameron, you said um, in a few of your presentations is we're all just going on the same path to, uh, to a grave, early grave or death or whatever you do, cremate. And so I would say not to take this life too seriously. Don't put yourself around people that you can't go and see every day on a daily basis. So though I think you should have independent and uh, different types of thought process and a diverse group, 
I would definitely say the people that you bring on board, make it so that they like being around each other. We're all just going to die. So might as well have fun while we're working. Um, so that, that's my last um, gift to anyone who wants to hear it. Roman, thank you. You're right. We're, we are all just kind of walking each other home. So um, I really appreciate you sharing today. I appreciate you guys running such a great business. And um, I think you guys do a great job at, um, at at living your core values. So congrats to all of you. Say hi to Nick and Roman for me today, or Nick and Omar as well. No worries. And thank you for having me, Cameron. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.